अखंडम सच्चिदानंदम अवांगमनसगोचरम आत्मानम अखिलाधारम आश्रये भीष्ट सिद्धये आई टेक रिफ्यूज इन द सेल्फ द इंडिविजिबल एक्जिस्टेंस कॉन्शियसनेस ब्लिस एब्सोल्यूट बियॉन्ड द रीच ऑफ वर्ड्स एंड थॉट एंड द सबस्ट्रेटम ऑफ ऑल फॉर द अटेनमेंट ऑफ माय चेरिश्ड डिजायर सो वी वर ऑन text number 143 which goes like this if you look at text number 143 abhyam adhyaropa apavadabhyam tattvam padartha shodhanam api siddham bhavati by this process of superimposition and desuperimposition the precise significance of that and thou is clearly determined so this marks the beginning of a of a very very important section maybe the most important section um in vedanta sar um what is that the analysis of the great saying of the of the mahavakya the great sentence that thou art what has been accomplished till now we have done superimposition and disuperimposition adhyaropa apavada what are these this is the central method of teaching in advaita vedanta superimposition and disuperimposition what is this all about um superimposition disuperimposition is is it's like making an error and correcting it so suppose someone makes an error uh, not deliberately but one falls into the error of um uh, of thinking that a rope is a snake does not know the rope thinks it's a snake with all consequent um, ill effects and then you that that thing that part is called superimposition and that's the advaita vedanta claim is that's exactly what is happening here there is this ultimate reality um, existence consciousness bliss which like the rope being mistaken for a snake is being mistaken for this world for this universe our ex- our present experience of the universe this is like the 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 snake born of error this is called adhyaropa superimposition taking something to be what it is not now you have to reverse this why do you have to reverse this why do you have to correct it because we are suffering first of all it's false so we must know the truth whatever the ultimate consequence of that and also because of dwelling in this falsity is the source of our suffering and to get out of suffering to attain fulfillment um you know the the claim of advaita vedanta is that the the goal is that uh, overcoming suffering and attainment of fulfillment to to get that we have to correct this error just like seeing the so called snake is nothing but the rope similarly realizing so called universe is nothing but brahman existence consciousness place that is called desuperimposition apavada and this has been accomplished this has been shown till now we saw all of that we have been doing for the past few months is um, how from an absolute reality appears this error illusion false Uh, understanding of this universe and then how it is again seen to this universe itself is seen to be brahman how the uh, rope is discovered again and the error about the rope is corrected and i have given a number of examples there are many many stories in vedanta to illustrate this in advaita vedanta um i gave a talk recently using some of those classic stories you know the whole story about the emperor janaka is that true or is this true 
uh, the whole dream and then the correction of the dream. Uh, so that is about superimposition, de-superimposition. If you remember the story about the, the donkey, which was, they, were, they pretended to tie the donkey and then pretended to untie it. The pretending to tie it is superimposition, pretending to untie it is de-superimposition. De or the story about the princess of Kashi. And when the prince realizes that there is no princess of Kashi apart from him, he alone is the princess of Kashi. So this is called uh, the superimposition and de-superimposition. De All these stories are to illustrate that one central method of teaching, uh, this uh, superimposition, de-superimposition. Now, what he's saying is now is that uh, by this, what we have accomplished is we can now understand the meanings of the terms of the words that and thou in the sentence that thou art. So what is this switch happening? What's, what's happening now? Where are we going? You see, Advaita Vedanta can be um, expressed in very simple terms, uh, in very direct terms. What does Advaita Vedanta teach? He teaches that thou art, Tattvamasi, you are Brahman. So the sentences in the Upanishads, which, which express the central teaching of Advaita Vedanta, the whole point of this exercise, such sentences are called the great sentences, Mahavakya. They are used to summarize the entire teaching of Advaita Vedanta. And four of these sentences have been taken as representative of the four Vedas. Tattva Masi, that thou art from the Chandogya Upanishad, which is from the Sama Veda. Um, Pragyanam Brahma, this very consciousness is Brahman, that is from the Aitariya Upanishad, which is from the Rig Veda. Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman, which is from the Brihadarnika Upanishad, which is from the um, your, um, Yajur Veda. And then Ayamatma Brahma, this very self is Brahman, which is from the Mandukya Upanishad, the Atharva Veda. So the four Vedas, Upanishads from these Vedas and one, one sentence, which all of these sentences tell you the same thing. They all talk about the identity, not even unity. Unity, often we say unity of God and man, which identity of the sentient being, the Jiva, individual, and of, of Ishwar or Saguna Brahman, the identity, the oneness. Um, so that, that is the central teaching of Advaita Vedanta. Another way in which this whole thing has been put is Brahma Satyam Jagat Mithya Jiva Brahmaivanapara. This is a famous saying to like representative saying of Advaita Vedanta. Brahman alone is the reality, world is an appearance, and you are none other than Brahman. Uh, so these four Mahavakyas they express the same thing. Among them, the most famous is that thou art in the Chandogya Upanishad. And uh, usually when teaching Advaita Vedanta, it is that one, that thou art, tattvamasi, uh, which is taken up for analysis. But the same process which we will go through now, you can use it for the other, other Mahavakyas, the other great sentences. And by the way, it's not that just these four sentences which are Mahavakyas. There are many more. But these four are just taken as representative, just to, you know, like showing that these Vedas and these Upanishads, they all teach the same thing. Again, from an Advaita Vedanta perspective, the dualistic school, Advaita Vedanta, or the other schools of Vedanta, they do not give all this overwhelming importance. They don't call them Mahavakyas, for example. They will give some interpretation, which is not the interpretation which uh, <coughs> we, we are learning now. 
imagine the great claim that is being made here. The claim that is being made by Advaita Vedanta is that you are Brahman, you are the absolute reality of the world. And the whole point of this superimposition, the superimposition, <coughs> the underlying claim is that what we know about ourselves now is a big, big mistake. We are in great error. Now, the only thing that you can do to an error is to correct it. And the only way you can correct an error is by knowledge. And um, the only way you get knowledge is by inquiry. So see what huge implications it has for spiritual life, for religion. What is the problem? The problem is one of ignorance, not of sin, not of being caught in the bondage of karma or whatever, whichever way you put it. It's basically a problem of ignorance and ignorance about our real nature. If that is so, then what is the solution? In spiritual life, what should we seek? We should seek knowledge. We should seek knowledge about our reality. Uh, not uh, mystic experiences, not bhakti, not even doing good to others. All those things become secondary. Just look at the, the huge implication of what we are trying to uh, study here. Then what will be the practice? What will be the practice in Advaita Vedanta? The practice will be uh, inquiry. Because we want knowledge. And inquiry means studying these texts, Shravana, thinking about them, trying to understand what is being said here, and then making it a vivid realization. Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana. Uh, systematically studying them, thinking about it, getting clarity, conviction, and then making it a vivid living realization. That's the, that's the spiritual practice then. It is not, you know, whether you sit cross-legged or stand on one leg, whether you do this ritual or that ritual, it's not whether you have schools and colleges and hospitals to help poor people, it's not even whether you have devotion and faith in God, not none of those. Not that they are wrong. They, were, they are all there. We all know that those play a, uh, a secondary role. They can help and, and they must be there in our lives. They, 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 are, they prepare us for this uh, realization. So I'm just trying to impress upon you the huge, huge implications of this kind of knowledge for our spiritual life. It, it has, it's truly radical, actually. Okay. Now, what will happen is, he's saying that all the exercise that we went through till now, superimposition and desuperimposition, whatever we learned, will help us to understand that thou art. How will it help us to understand? It will help us to understand the meaning of that, it will then help us to understand the meaning of thou, tat and tvam. What is meant by that and what is meant by you, thou? And how are the two the same, identical? So it will help us to understand that, it will help us to understand thou, and it will help us to understand the identity between the two. What will help us? Whatever we have gone through, we're going to deploy all that knowledge to understand that thou art. So this is what is starting now. In fact, in the traditional way of understanding Advaita Vedanta, um, a traditional scholar would basically say Advaita Vedanta is hermeneutics. It is um, interpretation of text. In Sanskrit, the term is Mimamsa. Uh, Mimamsa means Pujita Vichara, reverential inquiry, and into the Vedic texts. Which text are we inquiring into? We are inquiring into that thou art. We're trying to understand the meaning of that. That is Advaita Vedanta. And now we have a more precise understanding of what is Advaita Vedanta. 
it is tattvamasi that thou art or the other such sentences and how to understand it so that exercise is starting now we are ready to understand that thou art all that we studied till now how did it help to understand that thou art we'll quickly see now before we start the process the process of trying to understand that thou art has not started yet it will start just a little later but first of all what do you mean that all that we did till now superimposition and desuperimposition will help us to understand that and thou that was said in 143 shodhanam siddham bhavati shodhanam means uh, clarification 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 of what tattvam padartha the meanings of the word tat and tvam that and thou has been will be clarified um, the clarification is will be helped by all our studies till now the superimposition and desuperimposition let's go into it and see how uh, it's going to help to understand that thou art so what is the uh, what's going to happen from now on for the rest of almost the rest of the book almost except a little bit at the end almost the rest of the book is um, inquiry into the meaning of that thou art and that is the heart of advaita vedanta so that's starting now tathahi text number 144 agyanaadi samashtir etad upahitam sarvagyatvaadi vishishtam chaitanyam etad anupahitam chaitatrayam taptaya pindavad ekatvena avabhasamanam ஆர்த்தவாச்சார்த்தோபிஷியன்ஸ்ட்ரேட்டிங்ஸ்ட்ரேட்டிங்ஸ்ட்ரேட்டிங்ஸ்ட்ரேட்டிங்ஸ்
and um, the the mind, this the subtle body, and then the five gross elements and the physical bodies and this physical universe. All these are products of Maya. So that's one thing which is meant by that Maya and all its products. Then tadupahita chaitanyam, consciousness associated with Maya. What is consciousness associated with? Now you will see immediately how with all this study of Vedanta Sara is immediately useful. Consciousness plus Maya is what? It is Ishvara, Saguna Brahman. Ishvara, God, Saguna Brahman, Ishvara. So consciousness limited by Maya is Ishvara. Um, and further also you can say consciousness limited by Maya plus the subtle universe, which is a product of Maya, is Hiranyagarbha. Consciousness limited by Maya and the subtle universe and the gross universe is Virat um, or Vishwarupa. So that, that's also included in the word that. And what else is included? The ultimate reality, which is always there. But what is that ultimate reality? Vastu, remember when we started superimposition, desuperimposition, it was said there is only one reality, like the rope. There is only one reality. What is that? Satchidananda Madhvayam Brahma. That text one must memorize. Vastu Satchidananda Madhvayam Brahma. Ajnanadi Sakalajara Samuha Avastu. Vastu, reality. Reality is only existence, consciousness, bliss, non-dual Brahman. And then starting from Ajnana, ignorance, etc. etc. means all the products of Maya. Everything is Avastu and appearance. So now the word that has these three components. One is the actual reality, that is uh, Brahman, pure consciousness. Existence, consciousness, bliss, non-dual Brahman, that's there, of course. Without it, nothing can be there. After all, when you see the snake, when you see the snake, what's there? There is that appearance called a snake. And there is uh, the rope, which is the ground of that appearance called a snake. And basically, it's the rope only. Let me repeat that. There's a way of looking at, at uh, when you make a mistake about a snake, you know, taking a rope to be a snake. Uh, actually, there are three, three the, you can sort of decompose that, analyze that into three aspects. One is, of course, there is a snake. Uh, the, of, the, of course, there's a rope. That's the reality. That's always there, rope. And um, there is that appearance called a snake. In one sense, is means within quotes. It appears. So that snake that erroneous the, the snake born of the illusion of the snake, the error of the snake is there. And you can say the rope as a ground of that error, as a basis of that error. So it's almost like double counting the rope. Rope in itself and the false snake and the rope as the ground of that false snake. In the same way, consciousness, Satchidananda Brahman is there and Maya and it's all its products, all of this. The causal body, subtle body, gross body, the causal universe, and the subtle universe and the gross universe, all of it is there. And that consciousness associated with this, um, the, the associated with Maya. So three things are there, or if you say that, that thou art, the word that, tat, can be decomposed analyzed into these three aspects. I will not say three, three things because they are not really three things. Um, there are three aspects. One is the reality, pure consciousness. Second is Maya and its products. 
third is consciousness the same consciousness but limited um, in a in association with obscured by maya to make it even more simple the word that has three these three components brahma nirguna brahman saguna brahman maya that's the meaning of that that means tat in the, in, in the remember the, what we are talking about is the sentence that thou art so tadahi so to explain further agyanaadi samashtihi ignorance etc the totality the totality of ignorance is maya etad upahitam sarvagyatvaadi vishishtam chaitanyam consciousness which is associated with maya and is qualified has got qualities like knowing uh, uh, no omnipotent omniscient omnipresent whose qualities are they not the ultimate reality they are all qualities of god all pervading reality whose quality god so you will say isn't nirguna brahman the absolute reality not all pervading you cannot say it's all pervading because the all is not there this all space and time and uh, all these objects they all come up because of maya only because of maya we say there is a universe and there are all these planets and stars and people and sentient beings and all of this is because of maya once maya is admitted then brahman is seen to be pervading all of it you say all pervading brahman is seen to be all knowing sarvagya omniscient brahman is seen to be all powerful um, sarvashaktiman this is called god ishwar saguna brahman and behind all of this is he says anupahitam the unassociated consciousness and it's a very mild term which is used for the ultimate reality which is the nirguna brahman non dual existence consciousness place etatrayam these three together now among these three there's only one thing which is real but these three together the three aspects we're just analyzing theoretically taptaya pindavat like a heated iron ball ekatvena avabhasamanam appears as one where does it appear as one take a look around it's appearing to you right now what is appearing to you is not theoretical also you can actually analyze it and for an enlightened person immediately what is maya and name and form and what is the reality becomes absolutely clear effortlessly it becomes clear to the enlightened person to us it appears as one mass we say tables and chairs and people and computers and sky and earth and cities and body and mind and thoughts and feelings and emotions and this whole vedanta and all of that all of this taken together is the appearance and there are if you say crucially or at the core of this there are three things nirguna brahman um saguna brahman and maya and its products okay now number 145 etad upadhi upahita aadharabhutam anupaitam chaitanyam tat padartha lakshyarto bhavati the unassociated consciousness which is the substratum of the limiting adjuncts and of ishvara which they limit 
is the implied meaning of that. Okay, so we have to make a distinction between the direct meaning and the implied meaning. Vachyartha, uh, Lakshyartha, the words used were Vachyartha and Lakshyartha. What we just saw a little while ago, the meaning of that, that is uh, Nirguna Brahman plus Saguna Brahman plus Maya and its products, that is called the direct meaning of the word that. And now there is something called the implied meaning. What is this direct meaning and implied meaning? All of that will become clear as we go along. It's just showing us how what we all studied till now is helping us to understand that thou art. This, this part will not become clear right now. It will become clear a little later. So he says there's something called the implied meaning. And the implied meaning of the term that is um, the pure consciousness only. Why, why do I say only? The, the direct meaning was three things. Pure consciousness, Ishwara, Maya. And the implied meaning is only pure consciousness. See, pure consciousness, Ishwara, Maya. That is the meaning, that is the direct meaning. Vachyartha. Direct meaning, literal meaning, dictionary meaning, whatever you call it. So that is the Vachyartha, that's the technical term. The direct meaning of the term that, Tat. And what is the implied meaning? Only uh, pure consciousness. So not the, um, uh, you know, Ishwara, not Maya. Drop Ishwara and Maya, the pure, take the pure consciousness alone. That is the implied meaning. It's like saying rope and snake. So when you see the snake, there are actually three things there. Uh, there is the original rope itself. There is the snake born of our error. And there is the rope, which is the, the rope itself, which is the, the ground or the the basis of that error. Now, if you want to take the direct meaning of the word that, but here it will mean the rope itself, the original rope itself, which has nothing to do with the snake and you know errors and things like that, just the rope itself, the reality itself. So now we have implied meaning and direct meaning of what? Of the word that. Don't worry too much about it. All these things will be discussed in lots of detail um, very soon. It's going to start now. Now, so this is the direct meaning and implied meaning of the word that. There's one more word in that sentence, thou, tat tvamasi, you. What is the direct meaning of you and what is the implied meaning of you? We will see. 146. <laughs> Direct meaning of the word tvam, thou. Direct meaning of the word thou. What does it mean? What does it refer to? It refers to ignorance, etc. Ignorance, etc. means our causal body, subtle body, gross body. Karana sharira, sukshma sharira, sthula sharira. Or if you want to go in further detail, the Anandamaya Kosha, the bliss sheath, the Vijnanamaya Kosha, the intellect sheath, the Manomaya Kosha, the mind sheath, the Pranamaya Kosha, the vital sheath, and the Annamaya Kosha, the physical body. All of that. Then, Etadupahitam, Chaitanyam. Consciousness associated with that. Consciousness associated with what? The three bodies or the five sheaths, which is um, characterized by 
Alpagyatva, little knowledge, little power. What are we talking about? You, right now, what we think about ourselves, just now take a look. He's talking to nothing theoretical, just here, right now. Here is this body. And in that we find um, a mind. And beyond that, the blankness which we experience in deep sleep. This is ignorance and its products, or the ignorance and its effects. Uh, and then consciousness associated with it. Consciousness associated with it means the awareness which I have right now, I Sarva Priyananda, I Sarva Priyananda, this ego associated with this mind, with this history, this memory, this personality, this body, this is called the direct meaning of the word thou. It just means what, it, what you refer to when you say somebody, you, what you would refer to as that. That's, that's the direct meaning of the word you. When you refer to any person, when you say you, I mean you. What do I, what do I mean by that? I mean that person. I mean the body, I mean the mind, I mean the history of that person. I mean the conscious being who is associated with all of that. That's the person. <coughs> there is one more thing which we do not mean, but it's there. That is the pure consciousness there, which we do not mean because we don't know about it. Uh, Vedanta teaches us for, about it for the first time. The rest of it, we know about it. Physical body, mind and awareness, who does not know? It's the common experience of all humanity. Um, in fact, it's the experience of all living beings. Only humanity can think about it. So that body-mind complex plus pure consciousness is the direct meaning of the word um, thou. Direct meaning of the word thou is pure consciousness and the consciousness associated with body-mind and body-mind. I'll repeat, pure consciousness, consciousness associated with body-mind and body-mind. What is this? This is the direct meaning of the word thou, tvam. And then implied meaning of the word tvam. Let us see. 147. <laughs> Adharabhutam anupaitam pratyaganandam turiyam chaitanyam tvampada lakshartho bhavati. The implied meaning, the unassociated transcendent consciousness, the inward bliss, which is the substratum of the limiting adjuncts and of jiva, which they limit, is the implied meaning of the word thou. Basically, the implied meaning of the word thou is pure consciousness. What is it? You know, if you do drigdrishya viveka, the witness consciousness which you discover. I am the witness of the mind. That is the implied meaning of the word Tao. Sakshi. Here the word used is body-mind, consciousness, the ground of that, the witness of this body-mind, this jiva, uh, that is the implied meaning of the word Tao. And what is that? Turiyam. It is not the waker, not the dreamer, not the deep sleeper. It is the one consciousness which appears as waker, dreamer, deep sleeper. When you drop the waker, dreamer and deep sleeperhood, the consciousness itself, if you take, that is the implied meaning of the word Tvam, Dao, Pratyagananda. It is the innermost consciousness. It is the so-called fourth. Why fourth? Not waker, not dreamer, not deep sleeper, the fourth. And it is Ananda, nature of bliss. So that is the implied meaning of the word Tvam, Thou. What was done till now? Just to tell us, to link what we had studied till now uh, with what we are going to study now. 
what we are going to study now is the heart of advaita vedanta we are ready now we are you may not feel ready you may feel confused but don't worry it will all fall into place a huge system has been built up and it's all going to fall into place nicely as we go into this uh, study now this will look very different from what we have done till now put the superimposition the superimposition all of that on the shelf for the time being now we are going to you know till now we had been doing a lot of metaphysics and epistemology now we are on world building and all of that now we are going into go into into linguistics and grammar because what we are dealing with now is a sentence uh, it's a sentence from the vedas specifically from the upanishads the particular one which is taken up for analysis and always in traditional teaching of advaita vedanta this is the one which is taken up that thou art tattvamasi i know of um, it's very well known actually when you talk about vedanta often people have heard about that thou art tattvamasi i know of this one gentleman uh, i never met him but he was in california one of the disciples of swami prabhavanand ji his name was tattvamasi i mean he took the name tattvamasi all right so we are ready to start now so from text number 148 onwards we will see the meaning of that thou art or thou art that and remember this sentence comes from chandogya upanishad 6th chapter one day i don't know when <laughs> some day we will study the chandogya upanishad the 6th chapter and we will see all this uh, in its natural habitat we'll see the animal in its natural habitat in the chandogya upanishad where the father is telling the son Uh, there thou means the sun shwetaketu and that means the ultimate reality saying oh sun you are that ultimate reality tattvamasi nine times it will be said but anyway we're just taking the sentence out and we're trying to understand it now with all that we have read till now 148 atha mahavakyartho varnyate idam tattvamasi vakyam ಸಂಬಂಧಿಂಗ್ಲೆ to remove ignorance why do you need to remove ignorance because ignorance has created this superimposition we need to we need desuperimposition and that's done by this knowledge so it's absolutely vital this is the central spiritual practice of advaita vedanta I'll repeat again what what we're going to do is the central spiritual practice of advaita vedanta shravana manana nididhyasana of what we keep hearing um start um you know here and reflect and meditate here and reflect and meditate what this one idam tattvamasi vakyam this sentence vakyam which sentence tattvamasi that thou art um sambandhatrena with three relationships with the help of three relationships akhandartha bodakam bhavati reveals the uh, und- the meaning the undivided reality akhanda means undivided um, bodakam that which enlightens us that which teaches us which shows us this sentence will enlighten us about that undivided reality notice that when we start the session every day we, we chant akhandam satchidanandam the one undivided existence consciousness place 
So that will be revealed by this sentence. So in fact, this is a definition of a Mahavakya, a great sentence. How do you define it? What is a great sentence? Usually, Jiva Ishwara Aikya Bodhakam Vakyam, that which um, tells you the identity of uh, Jiva Tat and Thvam, Jiva and Ishwara. But a more precise and clear definition is this one, which is given in this book. Akhandartha Bodhakam Vakyam, the sentence which reveals or which teaches us about the undivided reality, about the oneness, that the universe is one with you. Swami Vivekananda said, you know, the two sides to his teaching, that one is the divinity within ourselves, and the second one is the oneness of the universe. So this oneness of the universe is being taught here. So any sentence which talks about Akhandartha, the undivided reality, one reality, that is Mahavakya. Now, what was what is the new thing which was said here? In order to in order to understand the Mahavakya, we need to go through three steps. These steps are called relationships, sambandhatrayam, three relationships we have to apply. At this point, we may say, hey, wait a minute, I already understand. Tattvamasi means that thou art. I understand. I am Brahman. I understand it. No, you don't. <laughs> as we shall see, it's not all that easy at all. Um, as it will be revealed to us. What are the problems? Every step, we'll have to overcome a number of problems to get greater clarity about what this teaching is. So three relationships or three steps we have to go through. It's a process like an algorithm, like a machine. You put the sentence Mahavakya Satattuamasi at one end and out will come the meaning at the other end. In between there are these three steps or three processes. 149. The three relationships are Samana Dikaranyam, or the relationship between two words having the same substratum, Visheshana Visheshya Bhava, the relationship between the imports of the two words qualifying each other, um, so as to signify a common object, um, and Lakshya Lakshana Bhava, or the relationship between the two words, an identical thing implied by them here, the inner self. Okay, this all sounds terribly complicated. Don't worry, it's actually pretty simple. So first of all, he gives us the names of the three steps, the names of the three relationships. Um, the first name is, and the names are pretty formidable, but scary. What, what are they saying? First, relation, first name is Samanadhikaranyam. The second one is Visheshana Visheshya Bhava. Third one is Lakshya Lakshana Bhava. You can translate into English. Um, Samanadhikaranyam means the property of having the same substratum. What does that mean? We'll see. Pretty easy, actually. This Visheshana Visheshya Bhava means the adjectival relationship, adjective noun relationship. And the third one, Lakshya Lakshana Bhava means the implied meaning, the implied meaning, finding the implied meaning. So three steps we will go through. Common substratum, adjectival relationship, and implied meaning. At the end of it, we should get the clear meaning of that thou art. What is meant by that thou art? Okay. And at the end of it, you will end up saying that, I knew that. We didn't have to go through all of that. But you have to, if you are going to be very careful and precise. And you will see why all this, this um, meticulous investigation is necessary. Otherwise, you will not end up with what, what you know. You already know it. All they are trying to say is that you are Brahman. 
I know. So <laughs> you said, I knew this already, but uh, we'll get a much clearer understanding how they come to this relationship and how they come to this understanding that you are Brahman. Um, before we go into it, the whole process is going to start and it's going to take a long time to complete. Not very long, but still long enough. It's going to go on till uh, 180. 180, from 148 to 180, and a difficult portion. Let me outline what's going to happen, and then we'll dive into it. Um, the first one is Samanadikarnyam. What are we starting with? That thou art, Tattvamasi. Now what do we do? Samanadikarnyam. We have to understand the question first, then we'll understand the answer. Why we are taking these steps, we have to understand what is the problem here, We're trying to deal with the problem. A vakyam, a sentence. So I'll use the Sanskrit and the English. If you don't understand something, immediately you can ask. I will clarify. A sentence is a collection of words. In Sanskrit, word the sentence for the word for a word is pada. Pada samuha, collection of words in a particular relationship is a sentence. Now the problem is this: words mean things. Words mean some, they have got a meaning. They mean certain things. So when I say pen and a book, and I, I have a pen and a book. So I've used three words. I, book, pen. And also I've used words like have, a, uh, and so on. So pen is a word, it means this object. Book is a word, it means this object. So the the word has something called a referent. A referent means the object which is meant by the word. In Sanskrit, it's called padartha. Pada, word. Padartha, referent. Pada, word. Padartha, the object. I'm reminded of the philosopher Wittgenstein in Cambridge. So it seems he held up a chalk, a piece of chalk in the class once. And he said, what is this? And somebody said, it's a chalk. And immediately Wittgenstein threw the chalk at him, which bounced off his forehead to get to his shock. And he said, a chalk is a word. Was that a word? So there's a word, pen, and there's an object here. There's a word, book, and there's an object. And there's a word, I, and there's an object here, this one. And then there are words which express relations. Have, number, a, I have, a, pen, and a book. So these are different words. One thing you immediately notice, different words, they refer to different objects. How many objects are there? You can easily see I means one object, pen means one object, book means one object. So if you have a sentence, you'll have different words and different words mean different things. They have different reference. Immediate objection is that um, a sentence will always express duality. It cannot express non-duality. Why? Because a sentence is a collection of words and words mean different things. And if there are really different things, then it is dualism or pluralism. It's not non-duality. If you're going to say sentence refers to akhandartha bodhakam vakyam, sentence will refer to one undivided reality. It cannot. Sentence is made of words. Words refer to different things. If there are different words, then they'll have different things. Then if there are different things, how can it be one thing? It's as simple as that. So 
something like tatvamasi that thou that thou art its meaning will be what then what could be the meaning of that thou art the meaning could be in sanskrit you can do this you know tasya adhinatvamasi thou art subservient to that that is god and thou art the servant of god that is the lord is the king god is the king and you are the like the subject of the of the of god you know you're different you and god are different things and there's a relationship between the two of you please accept dualistic vedanta not non dualism do you see where the, where the how the problem has been posed where it comes from it comes from a simple fact about sentences sentences are made of words words refer to things if there are many words there are many things if there are many things it cannot be one thing and therefore non dualism is not possible at least you cannot express it with with a sentence so this is called um adhikarana adhikarana means locus locus uh, um the thing to which a word refers so the word pen is a word and its adhikarana locus is this object the word pen refers the referent is called the adhikarana and a sentence will have multiple adhikaranas pen book i and so it is is called vyadhikaranam 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 in sanskrit means uh, different locus or loci many words referring to different things they are going in different ways the classic example is bala dandena gamanayati the the is a classic example used in used by sanskrit pundits that uh, the boy is bringing the cow with a stick so you can imagine a indian village at sunset and the boy has been sent out by his father fetch the cows back from the field and he takes this the stick to shoe the cows back into the to the cow pen and so the boy stick cow and the action of bringing they are all different things so the words refer to different things how can it be one reality it's, it's multiple things are there so this is called vyadhikarana vakyam a sentence which has multiple loci multiple uh, adhikaranas okay it talks about many things it cannot be one thing now at this point we point out we means a non dualist we point out you're right but all sentences are not like this there are sometimes sentences which refer to the there are many words these words have different meanings but they all refer to the same thing how is that possible i say i have a black pen here black um refill pen they say black refill pen this is a black refill pen then all the words in this sentence this refers to what this black refill pen pen refers to what this black refers to what this pen refill refers to what this pen all of the words are meaning this one object so when we salute you know vishnu sahasranama the thousand names of vishnu vishvang vishnu vashatkara bhuta bhavya bhavat prabhu Yeah, all the words in in those uh, verses thousand names what do they refer to thousand words do they refer to thousand different entities no they all refer to the same entity in different ways so when i say this it's pointing out to this object pen it's naming the object itself uh, black it's giving the color of the pen refill it's telling me of the nature of the pen uh, the the model of the pen and similarly vishwam vishnur vashatkara bhuta bhavya bhavat prabhu these are names of the lord 
and they express different aspects of God, but they all refer to God. They all mean God. They have many, many words, but they all refer to the same locus. If you, if a sentence has the same locus and having lot of words, it is called samana adhikarana vakya. Samana adhikarana, adhikarana locus. Saman same. Vyadhikarana um, different locus, different loci. Saman adhikarana same locus. There are such sentences, and our claim is tatvamasi that thou art is this kind of a sentence. It is a samana adhikarana vakya. So a sentence having the property of having the same locus in spite of having number of words. That is called. That property is called samanadhikaranyam. So it's a big word. It just means um, having the nature of one lo- locus or one referent with many words referring to the same object. Uh, a classic example example is nilotpalam, blue lotus, blue lotus. So blue lotus. What does lotus refer to? The flower. What does blue refer to? That flower, the color of that flower. But they're both referring to the same object. Where is the blue in that object? Where is the lotus? That object. So the both are the same object, and they are not different, but they are different words. Similarly, that thou art refers to samana uh, dikaranyam, not vyadikarana. This is our contention. Okay. Now we move on. So this is the first step. The first step is to prove. Though your sentence has many words, it refers to the same uh, referent. So we are, we are. It is our contention. Tattvamasi refers to uh, one reality. Then the next problem will come, is that the opponent says, "Yeah, sure, but notice, samanadikarnam vakyam, the same that is the same locus. They have the nature of this. That second relationship will come now." Adjectival relationship, visheshana visheshya bhava. What happens is, you gave the example of nilotpalam, blue lotus. Blue lotus. In blue lotus, it is true. Blue and lotus are intimately connected. They refer to the same flower. What is blue? That flower, lotus. And what is uh, lotus? That blue flower. So blue lotus, nilotpalam. It refers to the same object. But blue and lotus are not the same thing. Blue is a color. Lotus is a flower. Blue is a property. Lotus is a substance. There's a guna and guni. It's a substance and property. It's a quality. Blue is a quality. Tall man, tall and man are not the same thing. When you say black pen, the example you gave, Swami, black pen, black and refill and pen are not the same thing. Black and refill are, are the qualities of this pen. Are the properties of this pen. But just um, it could be a blue pen, it could be a yellow pen, what not? And they are not the same thing. Qualities and the substances are not the same thing. They are intimately connected. What is the connection between quality and the substance? Adjective and noun. That's why this is called visheshana visheshya bhava. Visheshana adjective. Visheshya the noun, possessor of the quality and the quality. So, so what? So what will happen is you should accept uh, that tatvamasi is a sentence of this kind. I agree, tat and tvam are referring to the same one reality, but one is an adjective to the other. One is a property holder, another one is a property. 
what would that be like how can one be a property can we individuals be the property of brahman yeah come to my camp this is called vishishtadvaita <laughs> you have been lured into the camp of vishishtadvaita brahman is one reality whose qualities are whose adjectives are uh, jiva and jagat jiva jagat vishishta brahma vishishtadvaita qualified monism this is what we are trying to tell you you are right it is one reality it's one organic reality but there are distinct parts to it the oneness is qualified by the presence of many many jeeva sentient beings like you and many insentient thing, things also chit achit vishishta brahma vishishta advaita brahman the ultimate reality qualified by look at the word qualified by by what innumerable sentient beings like us and innumerable insentient entities like matter and space and time and planets and stars and you know all sorts of things all of that together there is an underlying unity you are right there is a oneness and this whole thing together is called vishishtadvaita agree to it we we sort of we say no, no this is not exactly what we mean um but there there's no way out you have argued yourself into our camp you said that it is one reality and if you come out of the camp the other camp is waiting the dualistic camp as you say the different realities if you say one reality the only way it can be one reality is qualified and qualifier adjective and noun what else can there be then we say yes we agree that it is qualified qualified but in the case of that thou art there is no meaning the meaning doesn't come out the way you are putting it why because the that thou art is like um the sentence so am devadatta this is that devadatta so this is the example which we use this is that devadatta this is that devadatta means devadatta is just you know like the just the guy whoever you can get any name um that devadatta whom i saw 30 years ago is this devadatta i'm seeing now that devadatta whom i saw in mumbai is this devadatta i'm seeing in manhattan that devadatta who i saw was young is this devadatta now i see is old that devadatta who had a full head of hair is this devadatta who is now balding that devadatta who was lean and fit is this devadatta who is a paunch and slowing down this is that devadatta now there are not two there is one and it's not that one qualifies the other it's not that one is the adjective and one is the noun both are the same reality it does not matter one was old and one is one is old and one was young at that time one was in the past one is in the present one was in mumbai one is now in uh, manhattan we disregard all of that and we imply it is the same person we do it all the time it's a common experience we have we do it all the time we disregard many aspects and say it is the same same literally one person not property not adjectival not different also and we claim that thou art is like that sentence so i am devadatta it's not like blue lotus the sentient being is not a quality of the ultimate reality and the, the sentient being and the ultimate reality are one and the same but you have to take the implied meaning that's why you see the, we, we talked about the implied meaning of that in the direct meaning of that implied meaning of thou the direct meaning of thou and so on 
So that will, we'll have to take the implied meaning. And for that, we go to the third relationship, which is called Lakshya Lakshana Bhava, implied meaning. Now, when you say relationship, it's always between two things. The first relationship, remember, it was Samanadikaranyam. Samanadikaranyam. What is Samanadikaranyam? It is the relationship between the words. Relationship between the words. The words have the same locus. What are the words? That and thou have the same locus. The second relationship was between the words and their objects. The words and the objects. Um, the Visheshana Visheshya Bhava. The word itself and what does it imply? So like a blue lotus. The blue um, color and the blue um, and the lotus, the flower. How? What is the relationship between their objects? The objects. Not the word and the object, between the objects. Relationship between the objects. Padartha. In Sanskrit, the first relationship, Samanadikaranyam, is between the pada, the two, the words, tat and tvam. And uh, the second relationship, Visheshana Visheshya Bhava, is between the padartha, the objects to which they are referred. So blue lotus, it's not between blue and lotus, it's between the color blue and the flower lotus. The color blue is a property and the flower lotus is the property holder. So now we're asking, what is the relationship between that and thou, not the words? The relationship between the words is the first one. They have the same locus. Now the relationship between the objects denoted by that and thou. Now you'll see why it was important to find out what is the direct meaning of that, what is the direct meaning of thou, and what is the implied meaning and so on. And the final is I mean, the relationship, the implied meaning is the relationship between the sentence that thou art and its meaning, what the, and the reality it refers to. And notice one very crucial thing. Uh, it is between the Vakya and the, uh, the Artha, Lakshya Artha, the, in the ultimate reality it is pointing to, pure consciousness. Notice one thing. The relationship between the sentence uh, that thou art and what it is revealing, pure consciousness, Brahman, whatever it is, it is a relationship, implied relationship, implied meaning. The sentence is a pointer to that relationship. It is not directly telling you about Brahman. And see what a, what a crucial you know, part of the puzzle this is. Because remember, we have always said the ultimate reality is beyond language. The ultimate reality is beyond language. The absolute Nirguna Brahman cannot be revealed by language. Now, if you say it's, it might be, you know, like puzzleless, but aren't you trying to say that that thou art, this is language. And this language is telling us about the ultimate reality. Yes, it is. And no, it is not. Because and the final analysis, when we come to the third stage, we will say it is only an implied meaning. Meaning thereby that it's only a pointer. It, it is pointing at something that you have to grasp intuitively. So it is not that language is directly revealing Brahman. The direct meaning of the word that thou, the direct meaning of the sentence that thou art cannot reveal Brahman. And therefore, we preserve that, that um, you know, that the teaching that the ultimate reality is beyond language. It's beyond language, but it's not beyond the strategies employed by the Upanishads. Strategies like superimposition, desuperimposition, neti neti, not this, not this, 
paradoxical language and this one which we will use in this book implied meaning implied meaning is basically a pointer it points us in the right direction after which you have to get it yourself okay so three steps samana adhikaranyam same locus this is a relationship between what between the words what words that and thou uh, tat and tvam the second relationship we'll go to is visheshana visheshya bhava adjective noun adjectival relationship and what's the relationship between what the relationship is always between two things so relationship between what between the objects denoted by those words what that means and what thou means between those two objects what is the relationship and finally lakshya lakshana bhava implied meaning implied meaning is relationship between what between the sentence that thou art and the ultimate reality which it points to it's an implied meaning indirect not directly okay this is the journey that we shall undertake it's a map i've given you of course it will be done in more slowly with more detail where did you get all this all this fancy stuff so he quotes from a past master this is from naishkarmya siddhi text number 150 taduktam samanadikaranyam cha visheshana visheshyata lakshya lakshana sambandha padartha pratyagatmanam compare the relations are the relation between two words having the same substratum that between two words qualifying each other so as to signify a common object and the relationship between two words and an identical thing implied by them here the inner self and this is a quote from naishkarmya siddhi naishkarmya siddhi is a masterpiece written by sureshwar acharya sureshwar acharya was one of the direct disciples of shankara acharya he is known as the vartikakara um shankara acharya is known as bhashyakara bhashyakara means the great commentator the commentator because he wrote commentaries on upanishads uh, bhagavad gita and brahma sutras so he is known as the bhashyakara commentator now on his commentaries further sub commentaries were written and um, the one who wrote these sub commentaries the primary one among them is his disciple sureshwar acharya who is a very learned probably the same as mandana mishra who was the great uh, uh, vedic scholar mimamsa scholar who was defeated by shankara acharya in a debate as the story goes but even if he was not uh, sureshwar acharya is of course a great master of advaita vedanta and the sub commentaries he wrote that's a particular form of sub commentary called vartika so each of the sub commentaries has a particular form and a definition and a purpose so the bhashya commentary brings out the inner meaning of the original text according to a paradigm so shankaracharya has a paradigm of advaita vedanta and is interpreting upanishads bhagavad gita brahma sutra in that paradigm so his commentary brings out that meaning now it requires further elucid- elucidation so that is done by the vartika and vartika is all in verse uh-huh. so you have to um, write uh, this huge voluminous sub commentaries all in verses so shankaracharya for example um satyam gyanam anantam brahma in taittiriya upanishad one sentence infinite existence consciousness is brahman and shankaracharya writes a couple of pages of commentaries on that and sureshwar acharya if i am not mistaken writes more than 200 vartika verses 
on that one sentence. So imagine how difficult it is. Um, I remember at Harvard, uh, this professor, always the students will groan if you give them assignments if they're long, you know, so the professor gave us this end term paper, which had to be 25 pages. And all the students, uh, myself not, not excluded, we all, no, 25 is too long. And then he said, all right, it can be 12 pages, but then it has to be all in verse. <laughs> you have to write in poetry, your uh, final paper. And we said, no, that's too difficult. <laughs> we'll write it in, in prose. So the vartika are, are in verse form. What does it do? Ukta nukta duruktamcha. So whatever has been said by the commentator, Shankaracharya, has to be elucidated further. And whatever has been left unsaid by Shankaracharya, ukta nukta, that has to be like fill in the blanks. That is his job to, Sureshwara's job to fill in the blanks. Duruktam, that which has been said, but it's difficult. It has to be uh, cleared up, clarified. That's also his job. Ukta nukta duruktam, <laughs> that is the job of the Vartikakara. But apart from these, these sub-commentaries which he wrote, he wrote sub-commentaries on the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad, Bhashya. Shankaracharya wrote Bhashya on Brihadaranyaka Upanishad and the Vartika on the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad Bhashya was written by Sureshwaracharya. Shankaracharya wrote the commentary Bhashya on Taittiriya Upanishad and the Vartika on the Taittiriya Upanishad commentary was written by Sureshwaracharya. Shankaracharya wrote the beautiful Dakshinamurti Stotra, composed it, hymn to Dakshinamurti. And the Vartika on that, called the Manasolasa, uh, was written by Sureshwaracharya. Now, Sureshwaracharya composed an independent work, a masterpiece called Naishkarmya Siddhi, um, the attainment of perfect actionlessness. Not that he was lazy, perfect actionlessness. It is, it is Brahman. Actionlessness, Naishkarmya Siddhi is Brahman, realizing that it's beyond all change. So it's, it's an independent work. Uh, it's advanced. So that's what the reason why we don't study it directly. Maybe one day we will, but that's not on, on the table right now. But this is a quote from the Naishkarmi Siddhi. He is showing, the author, our author is showing that I am in line with na, someone no less than Sureshwaracharya, who has said to understand the Mahavakya, Padartha, the, the Mahavakya, you need to go through these three steps. Samana Adhikaranyam, one locus, or one Adhikarana. Visheshana Visheshyata, the adjectival relationship, and Lakshya Lakshana Sambandha, implied meaning. By this, you realize Padartha Pratyagatmana. You realize the, the inner self, pure consciousness. That is the reality by these three steps. Okay, done. Let's quickly look at the activity in the chat. And then we'll see. So we'll take up these steps. We have not yet started, actually. I've just given you a, an outline of what to expect. And we will go through that slowly over the next uh, few weeks. All right. Girish says, the Panchabhuta theory of the five basic elements building blocks of the Vavaharic domain appears to be as reductionist as modern science, where aggregates of elementary particles make up all the matter. Is that accurate? If so, it means that in Advaita, non-dual pure consciousness accommodates a phenomenological domain where a dualistic-based reductionist view prevails. Yes, it's accurate as far as it goes because uh, the reductionism to the five elements is not final. It's actually not even the five elements. 
it's all back to maya and even that is not final it is back to consciousness associated with maya ishvara even that is not final it's actually nothing at all it's just nirguna brahman so it's like reducing the whole film to the film screen so in the, as a as a step in between if you say in the movie this entire universe and all the actors and all the heroes and villains are nothing but um, you know uh, atoms and subatomic particles but that's also not true even there there's no atoms and subatomic particles uh, in those 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 characters and objects do not exist they are an illusion playing upon a screen so ultimately it is screen plus illusion ultimately there's no reality of the illusion also it is the screen alone so reductionism is when you reduce something to its um, building blocks analyze it down to the ground and dismiss all emergentism so that you know at a certain level of complexity certain things emerge which cannot be reduced to the fundamental um, building blocks of, my, of of the universe uh, so that is when reductionism becomes a problem but here ultimately we are not even talking about reductionism we are talking about an um, an order of reality which is entirely different from this order of reality you know you are not saying for example it would be reductionist if you said the snake is one ultimately composed of a rope but you are not saying that you are saying that there is no snake at all there is really a rope so that's not reductionist then put in another way what i'm saying is both can be accommodated a uh, a uh, very reductionist materialistic reductionist approach and uh, an emergentist you know like epiphenomenalist approach both can be accommodated in advaitic framework with the proviso that both are false from an advaitic perspective that's all <laughs> from the ultimate reality but within the domain all of science if you say no science works advaita has absolutely no problem with science working fine because advaita is not challenging that when dimitri says in order to see all as one the instruments of knowledge needs to change right we have to look into this this is actually a very very tricky question i don't know in what sense you mean it instruments of knowledge, let me take it at a very simple level to know anything you need an instrument of knowledge the knowledge is called prama and the source of knowledge is called pramana all knowledge has to come from a valid instrument of knowledge you can't just say that i know it by my genius but what what is this genius composed of what is the basis of it i have to give some basis i saw it or i heard it or i inferred it by a valid scientific process these are sources of knowledge now what advaita vedanta would say is the vedas are the sources of knowledge in what sense they are the record of the experiences of the rishis it is revealed to the rishis in this way now do you have to believe in it no what you do in advaita vedanta specifically not other parts of the veda in advaita vedanta what we are doing is when it says tattva masi you're not being asked to believe that you're brahman in fact you must not you must analyze it like we are going to do threadbare and it will point to something in our own experience which they are trying to point out so this whole way this pramana so the upanishad is a pramana that is the source of knowledge that's the instrument of knowledge 
which gives us the knowledge about Brahman, but the whole way it, it works is sort of indirectly, because ultimately we'll come to an implied meaning, a pointer, not a direct revelation. So it's not, definitely not something you're supposed to believe in, which is also definitely not something that language is expressing. It is unique that way. And because it is our own reality and it's a luminous reality, it can be pointed out. Okay. So this is the preliminary answer to that question. Instrument of knowledge needs to change? No. The, this you need a particular instrument of knowledge, particular pramana. It is called Shruti pramana. And I told you how this Shruti pramana functions. Uh, it is an indirectly. It points out. You have to grasp it. Now, if you mean that the instrument of knowledge in the sense of the mind, yes, it needs to change in the sense it has to be purified, it has to be focused, and that is the purpose of all the sadhana, the fourfold qualifications we talked about, viveka, vairagya, all the qualifications of an advaitic seeker. In one sense, you can say they are all perfecting the instrument of knowledge, which is the mind. So these are all preliminary answers. The real answer to this is, actually, I don't know if you're asking that, it's, it's, um, it's a huge problem. In, um, this was first caught by Nagarjuna 2,000 years ago. Um, he said, I'll just give you the question. What is the problem? I will not go into the answer. He said, um, you see, if you say this is all an appearance, then you are denying the reality of this world, correct. But the instruments of knowledge with which you are denying this world are also part of this world, correct. Then you're saying that the instruments of knowledge are also not ultimately real, right. Then the conclusion that the knowledge that they generate can also not be ultimately real. Why should I uh, uh, accept what you say? In fact, the way they put it is, why should we admit these people into our philosophical discourse? Because they do not accept the instruments of knowledge. It's a very deep question because the entire philosophical discourse in ancient India was based on what is called pramanas, a mutually agreed system of systems of knowledge. If, if we do not agree what we are talking about, how can we debate? If you challenge everything that I hold, that uh, I'm saying something, if you say whatever you say is false, then how will I debate with you? So the question um, ra was raised by the realists, the dualistic philosophers, the Nyaya philosophers, and later on the dualistic Vedanta school also against the non-dualists. First, the Nyaya school raised it against Nagarjuna, the Buddhists, especially the emptiness people. And later the dualistic um, schools of Vedanta raised it against us. Why should we at all take these people seriously? Because they challenge the very validity of knowledge. So this is, uh, this is actually a very serious question. We, we will not allow you to enter this debate at all. Because to enter the debate, you must take seriously pramanas, sources of knowledge. Something must be established. It doesn't matter, maybe your point of view or my point of view, but all points of view are wrong. This, uh, how can we even start a debate? So this, is, this was responded to by Sri Harsha in his masterpiece, Khandana Khanda Khadya written about a thousand years ago. The word, the name of the book is Khandana Khanda Kade, which just literally means cookies. <laughs> cookies of refutation. Khanda Kadya means sweets or cookies. Um, Khandana means refutation. 
So they are cookies. <laughs> Uh, and he gives an answer to that, why we should al allow people like, and there he points out, there's fundamentally no difference between us, the non-dualists, and um, the Madhyamaka Shunyavada philosophers of Buddhism. This is one of the few places where a traditional Advaita master has accepted the commonality between Advaita Vedanta and uh, Nagarjuna's Shunyavada Buddhism. Okay, Shiva Priya had raised her hand, so I should give her a, a chance to speak before we end. Go ahead. Yes, Swamiji, thank you. Uh, actually, you just said in the last, uh, that instrument of knowledge on that, uh, what I have, I'm going through all these classes. I hear some of the lectures. At the end, I have found that uh, this, my, there is a thin line between this, Brahman and this mind, because when I'm saying I am Brahman, it is Brahman is beyond knowledge. We I can say I have the knowledge of Brahman. So till the time you say I'm enlightened, a person is enlightened. It means he has the knowledge of Brahman. He, as soon as he is Brahman, because Brahman is not even blissful. Like I mean, I am in bliss. So the no, emptiness are going, going all over the place. You have to uh, I know. sharpen so, your question. So what I I mean that emptiness is the ultimate reality because Brahman is not even a bliss because I am in bliss all the time. It's a it's a feeling of mind. It's again there has to be a little bit of mind mind. Otherwise, yeah, but but you know, okay, I'll just stop you there. Brahman is bliss. A continuous feeling of bliss that's not the meaning at all that's why it's an it's a natural mistake to make um look up my lectures um, online there's one lecture in search of bliss it talks about the anand aspect of brahman brahman is bliss does not mean that you will be in bliss all the time it's just a confusion created by the word when you say brahman is ananda there's a difference between ananda and ananda maya. Ananda maya means pervaded by ananda or a modification of ananda, which is experienced in the mind, which you are calling a feeling of bliss. That will come and go. That will increase and decrease. Yeah. And that is not what is meant by Brahman. When you say Brahman is ananda, um, in Upanishad, it's uh, Chandogya Upanishad defines ananda, the very ananda nature of Brahman as the very infinitude of Brahman. The the Purnatvam, the completeness of Brahman. It's not a feeling. Yeah, just, Brahman just, is not a feeling. Ah, just notice this. I'll end it here. Just notice this thing. When you say Brahman is existence, it yeah. does not mean Brahman is an existing thing. Yes. When you say Brahman is consciousness, it does not mean the Brahman is a conscious event in the mind. You know, thoughts, feelings, emotions, perceptions. This is what we mean normally by consciousness. This is not what is meant by Brahman. So I cannot say I am Brahman. No, you can I can say I have the knowledge of Brahman. Just the opposite. You cannot say you have the knowledge of Brahman. That is all that we have but been discussing. I am today. Brahman as long as I am thinking I am Brahman. I am actually experiencing. Like I am, I, I have, I have learned. Like I have learned till end. I have to exist. This body mind. It has to be there to say I am Brahman. Uh, so okay, I will leave it there. This body mind has to be there to say I am Brahman. It's separate. 
like body mind brahman it Suppose. is separate no no what i'm saying is this body mind has to be there notice what you said i'm putting the emphasis on the word say this body mind has to be there to say that i am brahman to think that i am brahman to express that i am brahman obviously i need a body so for example i'll give you an example to say that i am happy i need a tongue but happiness is not something that you say it's a feeling in the mind you're only expressing it through your tongue you're saying i am happy who is happy is the tongue happy no happiness is a feeling in the mind suppose i am dumb i cannot speak does that mean that i cannot be happy i can be happy i'm just not unable to express it so thinking that i am brahman requires the mind without mind no thinking is possible mm-hmm. that what i am saying thinking expressing that i am brahman requires the tongue without tongue no expression is possible but being brahman does not require mind or the tongue just think about it all right om shanti 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 hari om tat sat shri ram krishna parnamastu